You are a go-to-market operator. Whether you work in sales, success, marketing, or product, or you straight up run a business, your goal is to convert your market into revenue. But to do that, you need to learn, recruit, and execute. So who do you need to put on your radar? What are other go-to-market teams learning right now? Market to Revenue podcast gives you lightning fast interviews with go-to-market operators in sales, success, marketing, and product. Put go-to-market talent on your radar and find out what other go-to-market teams are doing right now. Here's a preview. Here's 19 mental models from go-to-market operators in the first 19 episodes. I talk to my team about this all the time and they probably think I'm a broken record is the, the scientific method. My observation here is that Growth teams and product teams are actually really good at using the scientific method. They observe customers, they form a hypothesis, they experiment, they analyze the results, and they, they draw a conclusion. I don't think we do enough of that on the go-to-market side. Um, and my team is really focused on driving go-to-market innovation at HubSpot. Um, so I use this scientific method framework and mental model all the time. It's super helpful for me to frame up a problem and have a somewhat um, objective way of evaluating an outcome and, and proposing a path forward. Mental models. First one is, um, I don't even know if this is a mental model, but I'm a big fan of like Jocko Willink's work, uh, Extreme Ownership. And I think that's a mental model. That's a, a way in which it's a filter or a high resolution lens in which I view my day, my life, my the way I interact with my family, uh, my work. Uh, and the model is essentially extreme ownership, right? Like everything that happens happened because of something that I did, uh, is it, I own all of the outcomes in my world. And I still, you still use that mindset, even when like something happens outside of your control, there was something that you maybe contributed that may have tipped that first domino that resulted in something happening that was maybe, you know, potentially caused harm to a relationship or harm to your business or something like that. So that's a first mental model that I think I use to do my best work is just like, I own everything, whether I own it or not in real life, I just take ownership of all of it. Um, and I really empower my team to do the same. And we do, and we, and we do some stellar work uh, because of that. These all come straight from the Bible of the challenger sale. So I am absolutely a convert on that. When we get to the point at which we are talking about solutions, another big mistake that I made previously that I think I've done a better job at still work in progress is it's so easy for us to jump to ROI because every customer asks about it. End of the day though, that does very, very little for a company who perceives that the cost of changing is significant. And so one of the mental models that I learned from Challenger was this idea of cost of inaction. When customers want to run to ROI, they are trying to defend the value of the investment. But oftentimes the conversation that we need to have first is what happens if you do nothing? We refer to that as cost of inaction or COI. So being really disciplined in making sure when I get to proposal, or when I get to solution, I'm not just putting up an ROI number, but I'm also giving a comparison point for what happens if you decide to do nothing differently about this problem. So one that I am a huge fan of, uh, it goes by a lot of different names, is really, a, I think, a thing that is talked about more in uh, product, but I like to think about it as, uh, I guess, the cupcake model um, that essentially, like, instead of going and trying to bake the, the full cake at the end um, and getting there by making an individual slice and then adding another ingredient and adding another ingredient and which means that the cake isn't actually that tasty until you get to the end start with just a smaller version but of the complete uh thing so really trying to think in for anything that we're going to go out and try to do what is the smallest complete 
valuable version of that. Um, and I think that's it's really helpful to be able to measure the impact much quicker um, and sort of get signal that you can then go and say, like, this ties to um, to another, I guess it's not one of the three that I was going to uh, going to mention, but is that the first version, just a, I guess a, a belief that I have, the first version will probably be wrong in like 99% of cases, you'll be wrong the first time. So getting there faster and making sure that you get signal that you can actually use to make the next version better um, is important. I think something really particular to sales is intention. And like, am I doing an activity because somebody at some point told me that those were important KPIs? Or am I, am I doing that activity because it actually creates that, that key result, that end result that is most important? I leverage principles. So I was taught this by my manager, Dan, um, as I moved into marketing. So he, to try and explain it, um, a high leverage activity is maybe something that you create once a system or a process and that you can reuse it so we're not starting from scratch. Whereas a low leverage uh, activity would be, I'm doing it once, I'm having to recreate it from scratch. I'm really not building any systems or processes. So it's helped me understand how do I create this so I'm more scalable and how do I do things maybe once or twice and it serves me for a longer amount of time. First would be biased action. Um, so I really deeply believe that like moving quickly but with focus uh, is the best way to fight both procrastination and perfectionism. Um, and I think it's rare that decisions cannot be reversed. Sometimes you have big decisions that can't be reversed and you should really kind of plan for these, but, but most decisions are reversible. And for these decisions, like speed is very much of the essence. How do I sort things that are coming my way to make sure that I make the decisions I need to make, that I take the actions I need to take. Um, and so I sort it into three buckets do it now. <laughs> if I'm going to do it and it takes less than five minutes, do it now. Um, delegate or say no. And I, I try to do that right away as well. Um, cause typically delegating or saying no takes less than five minutes. And then number three, if I need to do it, but it's going to take more than five minutes, then I will time block it. Uh, and I've been time blocking for a really long time now. I used to do it with sticky notes <laughs> and then I did it with just my calendar. And now I use this awesome app called motion. Um, so that I don't forget things because things are flying at me all the time. So that's how I think about time management. Inverting. Um, this is always my favorite one. Uh, so inverting a problem. I, I really credit this to, to David Cancel, who really helped distill this throughout um, the company at Drift when I was there. It's about looking at the outcome and finding all the places it could fail. So you, you honestly don't go there. Gives you less of a cloudy view of how to find the right critical path and avoid all of those, those failure points along the way. I can be really busy in my mind, right? I have a lot of things going on in my mind and oftentimes it's a little bit hard to focus on that key specific area. So something that I've been doing for, gosh, since early in my career is Sunday nights. Um, and, and Sunday nights, I get in that mental flow state of like, all right, what is Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday going to look like? What is it going to look like for my schedule? But it's also looping in my wife and sitting together with her on the couch and saying, hey, what's your schedule look like this week? Or, hey, what do the kids need me for this week? Um, and that gets me in the right state of mind. So when I wake up on Monday morning, it's not like, eight emails, six follow-ups and a meeting and the kids going to school. Literally, they just walked out of the door. Um, I normally take them every day at 8.30, right? But we had this at nine. So we had to, me and my wife had to communicate on Sunday to say, hey, 
you're taking over on, on this day. Um, and so I think that's really important. I don't know if it's a mental model, but it's just something I say, say to myself, if you focus on the mission, you will make the money. You know, a few of my guests on, on audience first have said that as security practitioners, if you focus on the mission, you will make the money. And that's something that has really allowed me a breath of fresh air as a marketer, because I've seen in a very short period of time that if you do focus on the mission, you will start seeing that exponential growth that as a startup, you're required to achieve. I love this question. I love mental models. Uh, I've got probably four books that are just filled with models, some mental models, some just other models. The first is the double diamond model. And um, I see this most commonly applied to product management, but I think it's a, it's a very wonderful sort of general model that can be applied to uh, many, many contexts. Um, and so in the double diamond model, you have two, two diamonds next to each other. And if you kind of just visualize that, if you go from left to right, the first diamond opens up and then it closes. And then the next diamond opens up and then it closes. So what the model captures is uh, a sequence of divergent thinking followed by convergent thinking, followed by divergent thinking again, followed by convergent thinking. And typically what I see is the first diamond is kind of focused on product discovery, product definition. So you're exploring different feature ideas, you're, you're um, exploring, you're, you're diverging, and then you converge on the right feature, and then you hand it over to engineering, and then they're figuring out how they want to build it, and then they're delivering. Um, I think it works great for a go-to market as well, um, just applying sort of divergent followed by convergent thinking in go-to market. The first one is, it's called first principle. So how do you break down complicated problems into basic elements and then reassemble that from the ground up? So in a marketing standpoint, this is helping customers achieve their revenue goals. We don't start with the lead and MQL targets because that's kind of like the end game. So what we like to ask a company is, what's your company or marketing revenue goal? And then we'll work backwards from that. There's way, way, way too many variables that we can play with to achieve that revenue target. Habits and structures and structure or habit stacking. So I recently took the holiday time in January to read Atomic Habits and kind of refresh on some of that. I haven't read it before, but I heard really good things. It's a great book, super actionable. And so I've been implementing a lot of like habit and structure into my routine. I'm a creature of habit and I like routine, but sometimes you need to update that or change that to set yourself up for new success or new goals that you might have. One model that's been really helpful for me in thinking through deal strategy um, has been MedPEC. I've got a long way to go in understanding it better, but just for understanding like where are the gaps that are inhibiting me from being the best support to this person getting their problem solved, right? MedPick, um, shout out to David Weiss, who is just a fantastic mind on that. And I have underutilized all the support that he's offered, but I've, I've leaned on him quite a bit for that um, in terms of resources he put together. Um, so MedPick's been useful. I love jobs that be done methodology to have a, like, a more rigorous framework. Many marketers or product owners will know that one quite a bit and founders where it's really innovation framework for understanding like why a person buys a product and what they, what's the end state they want to achieve with a product or a service. But what's great is that still works for marketing because it's still the same logical thought process that people go through. 
meditation. I meditate on it constantly. Whenever I'm stuck, I I've learned now to not just push through with more work, but to truly just take a pause, meditate. And by finding, taking that break, it's incredible. Like what, how, what clarity opens up for me. Mental model is prep plan, rest, effort, and perform. Uh, so having that curiosity um, allows me to sort of now move into planning tomorrow. That's the, the last thing I like to do uh, for the workday, plan out tomorrow so that I can R, rest easy in the evening. I don't have anything weighing on my head. I've cleaned out my inbox. I've blocked off my schedule for tomorrow. Um, I can rest easy by getting proper rest. Then I can give a hundred percent E effort on my most important task because I've already planned out the day and now I can execute on that. And then that delivers uh, good performance. Um, and again, I can look back on and evaluate that performance. The importance of integrity, which is one of my core value. Uh, and I take it very seriously. And integrity means that you are trustworthy and other can trust you to do what you said you would do. And you can also trust yourself, um, including living out your aspiration and visions for participating in the world. Hey team, what did you think about this? Did you know that you can just read Market to Revenue episodes just on our website? The whole episode is there as a bullet point list. Screenshot the key insights and share it with your team in Slack. Go check out markettorevenue.com and sign up to the newsletter. Oh, by the way, have we met yet? I'm Chris Morgan, host of the Market to Revenue podcast. Shoot me an email right now about what you thought about this episode. It's chris at markettorevenue.com. Talk to you in a moment.